You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Why are there broken homes, broken hearts, and broken dreams? Why is it no amount of money and nothing in Hollywood has been able to produce a perfect marriage or utopian society? I'll tell you why. Because something is wrong with us. And it goes deep, deep inside, soul. We all know it from early on, that there's something wrong with us. The signs come in different forms, like the empty feeling inside or the broken people you observe in your life. As you grow and experience more of life, those feelings only grow. As Pastor Danny will teach in today's message, this sense is one of the many ways that God uses to try and draw us to Himself. Sadly, many expend their energy and resources seeking fulfillment in everything but God. And when they come to the end, they're as empty as they ever were. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 2, as he continues his message, Man's Greatest Need. and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? They said, we're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Folks, the the evidence is overwhelming. He's either God or he's a liar. You know what else you learned from the story? Jesus has authority to forgive sins. As a matter of fact, you can't be forgiven except through him. Acts chapter 4, there's no salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name given under heaven to men by which we must be saved. Timothy, there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. That's the only way you can be forgiven. It's through Jesus. And then we learn this. That's our greatest need. Greatest need is not physical. Your greatest need is not even having your marriage restored. Now, God wants to do that. You get your marriage restored and and your soul still has a problem, then that marriage is going to end one day. You're going to live on for all eternity. He heals the problems in your family. And God wants to help heal the problems in your family if we're willing to let him do it. But if he does that, and we let him do that, and and your soul still has an issue, then you got an eternal problem. See, forgiveness is our greatest need. Doesn't it all mean that God doesn't care about our physical needs here and now, but that's not our greatest need, not physical. 
Um, for those who don't receive forgiveness in this life through the Savior, uh, the Bible says that if you die in this life without salvation, you will end up in a place called hell. Jesus says it's a place of fire. But I understand the day we're living in. I understand some people, maybe even you, you're in a church service, but you go, I, I, I believe in God and all, I believe in Jesus. I don't really believe in hell. And, and then you can believe that. You can believe that if you want. You don't have to believe in hell. And then the Bible says uh, those who die in this life end up in hell. And then ultimately they stand before uh, what's called the great white throne judgment. Revelation talks about it. And all those uh, who were in hell now are cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And you go, I don't believe in that lake of fire stuff. That's metaphorical. Not literal. Not literal lake of fire. And you don't have to believe that if you don't believe don't believe in hell. You don't believe in lake of fire. That, you, you can believe that. You can believe whatever you want. That's what the Bible says. I'm listening to this message by Tim Keller, and he mentions this book called The Trial by a fellow named Franz Kafka. I'd never heard of him, never heard of the book. The book's called The Trial. It was written 1914 to 1915. It was published in 19, 1925. And it's a kind of odd story, The Trial. Uh, let me summarize it. On his 30th birthday, a guy who's a chief cashier of a bank, his name is Joseph K. They never give you his last name. Joseph K., so it could be anybody. That's the idea. He's unexpectedly arrested by two unidentified agents from an unspecified agency for an unspecified crime. <laughs> the story takes one crazy twist after another before it ends abruptly and in a rather bizarre manner. On the eve of K., Joseph K.'s 31st birthday, Two men arrive at his apartment. He's been waiting for them, and he offers little resistance. Indeed, the two men take direction from Kay as he leads them through town to a quarry where the two men place Kay's head on a block. One of the men produces a double-edged butcher knife, and as the two men pass the knife back and forth between them, the narrator tells us that Kay knew then precisely that it would have been his duty to take the knife and thrust it into himself. But he doesn't take the knife. Instead, one of the men grabs him by the shoulder, pulls him up, and the other man takes the knife and stabs him and twists it. And Kay's last words are, like a dog. Great book, huh? I heard the message by Tim Keller, and I thought, I'm going to check out this Franz Kafka. And I went online. You can find out just about anything online now. Found out more about Franz Kafka. I, I read several quotes of Franz Kafka. And uh, one quote helps us to understand what he's trying to say in the book, The Trial. And here's the quote. The state in which we find ourselves today is sinful, independent of guilt. I see the look on some of your faces. You're going, could you help me out on this one, too? What he's saying is, we know something's wrong with us. We don't believe in hell or judgment eternally or those kind of things, but we know something's not right about us. We don't feel we are going to be judged eternally, but we know something's not right. That's what he means by that statement. That's why he wrote the book, The Trial. That's what he's trying to say. That people have a sense of condemnation no matter what they believe. Why are there broken homes, broken hearts, and broken dreams? Why is it no amount of money and nothing in Hollywood has been able to produce a perfect marriage, a utopian society? 
I'll tell you why. Because something is wrong with us. And it goes deep. Deep inside. Soul. That's why Isaiah says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. He's come to fix us if we'll let him. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that they might have life and have it. One translation is abundantly. It means to the full, to the max that God originally intended. Now, I want us to understand something before we go on with this. When Jesus says to this paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven, it's much different than you and I would say to one another, you know, we offend one another, we do one another wrong, and, and, and we go, don't worry about it. It's okay. Forget about it. That's what they say in New York, right? Forget about it. Any New Yorkers here? Forget about it. But it's not like that. It's not like no big deal. No, no, we didn't understand something. Because, see, God, uh, he's a God of compassion. He's a God of uh, grace. He's a God of mercy. But he's also a God of justice. And God, God can't be just and say, ah, don't worry about it. That's not just. See, justice must be done with sin. Don't ever forget that. Romans, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand before the cross unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. In the context, he's talking about the cross. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I cannot, and I don't think any of us can fully comprehend what Jesus took on the cross. I don't know if in our new bodies, in our new state, we'll be able to fully appreciate it. I, I don't know. But right now, I don't think there's any way we can fully even understand. Because, you see, the Bible teaches that he died for the sins of the whole world. That includes from Adam and Eve to the last person ever to be born. That every sin, every sin was placed on him, on the cross. I can't comprehend that. I can't come to complete terms with that except by faith in what God said. Every sin placed on him. So that now, if you trust Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on the cross, where he shed his blood and he died for you and for me and for the world, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. I also don't know if we fully appreciate that God longs to forgive us. Did you know that God wants to forgive us more than we want to be forgiven? You say, prove that. Okay, I will. Have you noticed in the record of the New Testament that there are many people that Jesus forgave that never asked for forgiveness? You say, where are you going with this? The paralytic didn't say, oh, Lord, would you please forgive me of my sins? He didn't say that. You see, don't be legalistic about this stuff because God, we've already seen Jesus knows our thoughts. God knows our thoughts, right? He knows the condition of the heart. So he didn't deal with legalistic kind of things. Yes, you must repent. 
Yes, the Bible teaches you must repent. Yes, you can't be saved without repenting. But doesn't God know if your heart's repentant? The thief on the cross. You tell me when the thief on the cross ever said, oh God, please forgive me of my sins. The thief on the cross said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned to this guy and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The woman caught in adultery. What hypocrite Jewish leaders that bring this woman to Jesus and they say she was caught in the act. Well, if she was caught in the egg, where's the guy? Bunch of hypocrites. When they say this woman was caught in the act of adultery, Moses said she should be stoned. What do you say? At first he ignores them. And then if you know the story, he says, okay, whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, they went away from the oldest to the youngest because the olders got more stacked up. You've been sinning longer. And then the woman, no doubt she's crying. And he says to her, woman, where are your accusers? And she wipes away the tears. She looks around and nobody but her and Jesus there. And Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. She never said, oh God, would you please forgive me what I've done? She's caught in the act. But you have to believe her heart is repentant. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. You're forgiven. That's synonymous with you're forgiven. Sinful woman. Everybody in the town knew she was sinful. We don't know if she's a prostitute. We don't know the the specifics of her sin. But we know Simon the Pharisee brings Jesus over for dinner. And in the middle of that dinner party, this woman breaks in. She begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. And Jesus turns to this woman that everybody knew was sinful. And he says to her, woman, your sins are forgiven. Your faith is saved. You go in peace. Zacchaeus, little Danny DeVito looking guy. Short guy, climbs a tree, get a look at Jesus. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I got to go to your house today. And at that house, Zacchaeus says, Lord, if I've cheated anybody, I'll pay them back four times. And here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. There's no record of Zacchaeus going to the Lord, you please, I repent. Would you please forgive me? Jesus knew his heart. One example after another. Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? He didn't get a message on repentance. What did, what did Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God already knew his heart. There have been people in our church, thank God, the ones I'm thinking about and aren't here anymore. And I'm not disappointed at that because they taught legalistically. You can't invite somebody to receive Jesus until you preach repentance to them. Well, that's not what the scripture says. Yes, they have to repent, but God knows their heart. And sometimes all you got to do is get them to Jesus. That's all you got to do. You just get them to Jesus. And if we'll get them to Jesus and let him take over, he'll take care of it. Jesus said over Jerusalem as he wept, you, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. He wanted to forgive them more than they wanted to be forgiven. He says in Isaiah, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. Sin is the blood-colored stain on our souls, and Jesus is the only one that can get it out. And I got one last point. But I don't want you to miss this last point. From our story, Mark chapter 2. When God speaks, it's done. It's done. 
in the account of creation, Genesis chapter one, and God said, let there be light. And the text doesn't say, and God said, let there be light. And he waited and waited. And, oh yeah, I forgot the magic word. No. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And you read that fascinating account of creation in verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, verse 24. Every time in the, the account of creation, God said, and something else was created. He says, I'm a God who calls things as though they are that are not. That's why he can prophesy and he can say, hey, this is what this is going to happen. And it happens. Let me show you something really cool. Oh, man, this is so cool. John chapter 1. Ooh. John chapter 1. Here's how it opens. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, I'm being real technical here. We have a triune God. He's one God, not three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Son is also called the Word. All right? Through him, the word, all things were made. We want to be technical. That person of the Godhead that spoke and created, and Colossians confirms this as well. It was Jesus before he became the man Jesus. He's the word. All things were made. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then you jump down to verse 14, and this is where you get those Jesus bumps. The word became flesh, became flesh. And the word in flesh said to that paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And at that moment, before he's baptized, before he attends a synagogue service, before he does any good deed, I mean, it is done. It's over. Your sins. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code that was against us, stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. You're not forgiven based on how good you've done. You're not forgiven based on how you've kept the Ten Commandments or not kept the Ten Commandments. God says the reason he gave us the Ten Commandments is to show us you can't keep them. Nothing wrong with them, something wrong with you. That's what the Bible says. Nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. They're spiritual, we're unspiritual. Sold as slaves to sin. And yet, through Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen to me very carefully and understand what I'm saying. I'm standing before you right now and I can say, by faith, by my faith in my Savior, Jesus Christ, I am standing here right now, and I'm just as righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous. Now, don't misinterpret what I just said. Don't go out here and misunderstand that. I didn't say I'm Jesus. I'll never be Jesus, only one Jesus. I'm not God. Never be God, only one God. But I'm just as righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous. Why? Based on what he did, not what I do. Based on what he did. Now, what I do shows that I'm real because I have a changed life but it's not perfect. Just as righteous as God is righteous. Otherwise, you'll never go to heaven. That's the only way you can be saved. That's the only way you can go to heaven. Hebrews 10, 17, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. 
Hebrews 10, 18, and where these have been forgiven, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. Even Christians, even Christians who have truly been saved and born again, you mess up and you feel guilty again and you're like, you try to do something and you confess it to make up for what you've done. But understand, there's nothing you can do to make up for it. All you can do is confess it. He restores the fellowship and you go on overflowing with thanksgiving. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to get saved and there's nothing you can do to please God to be right again. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith in what Jesus did. Under the old covenant, the Israelites were making daily, regular, repeated sacrifices to atone for their sins. And not only did they have to keep on making these sacrifices, but no matter how many they offered and no matter how much they did it, exactly the way the law prescribed They walked away after that experience, and they still felt guilty. Hebrews, I got a bunch of verses I don't have time to share with you, but Hebrews, that's one of the things it says over and over again. Those sacrifices were a constant reminder of their sins. The new covenant is exactly the opposite. The sacrifice of Jesus is to be a constant reminder that I've been made righteous so that we may serve God in freedom. Not out of guilt, not at all, I got to. No, you get to. And it's not because of what you did, it's because of what he did. You gotta get that. You gotta get that in your mind and be reminded of this again and again and again and again. Romans chapter one, verse 17, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. From the first time that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you are born again and the Spirit of God comes to live inside you, from that time until you see Jesus face to face, it is by faith. Ephesians 8, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It's by grace you've been saved. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works. Now, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, remember, don't you just love Peter? He got to Peter, and Peter, no no way, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Peter's always trying to straighten Jesus out, isn't he? And then when Peter realizes, I, I got to submit to this. I got to submit to this. You know, Jesus really determined he's going to do this. And then Peter says, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head and my whole body. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Now listen to what he's saying, practically speaking. Peter had had a bath. He had been cleansed by his faith in the Messiah. But in walking in the world, even though you're saved by faith, practically speaking, we get our feet dirty. And you know what Jesus is willing to do? Don't you love this about our God and our Savior? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not being born again again. This is, you're already saved, you're already righteous by faith, but you know, We all stub our toes, we get our feet dirty, we make mistakes, sometimes bad mistakes, as Christians. And Jesus is willing to come and wash your feet. What a God.
what a Savior. We're so thankful to be able to share the Word of God with you here on The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you want to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. You can also join in our Bible reading plan. Just look under the Resources tab on our website for more information. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? You might not realize how powerful prayer can be, especially during such uncertain times. There might be a listener who's really struggling, and God might stir in their heart a renewal of their faith simply by listening to this program. Please pray that each person who hears these messages would find encouragement. Just as we're reminded in Mark, God came to earth as a human, suffered in all the ways we do, and ultimately came to redeem each one of us. That's the takeaway we hope every listener gains from tuning in. Please pray for us also to seek God's will for this program and for it to continue to reach people in a powerful way. Thanks for praying with and for us. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Danny continued looking at the book of Mark. We hope that you'll tune in again right here on The Living Word.